I don't know if you were reading those statistics as they were going across the screen, but, you know, statistics sometimes can be overwhelming. Uh, you see all the stuff's going on, and you're going like, man, what do you do about this stuff? And, and sometimes, it, you know, it's you see news, you see stuff locally, and, you know, you see stuff nationally, internationally. The question is, how do you respond? And, and for us, those who are in, in church, uh, you should hang out a day or a week at a church and hear all the stuff that we hear here. Uh, because we get all the prayer requests, we hear lots of people coming by, have needs, and all those things. And and sometimes, I just have to be honest with you, I get a little bit frustrated with, you know, how do you deal with all that stuff? Just how do you deal with all the stuff that's there? Because it's so overwhelming. I mean, there was a day, uh, not that many years ago, I remember when there wasn't all the connectiveness. I mean, now every day I just pop in my, take up my iPad. I have my newspaper on my iPad called The Daily. It pops up and, and you know, I can get news from everywhere all around the world. It's already on there. I don't have to go out to the mailbox to even get it. And uh, it's all there. And it's, it's stuff this morning that I was reading about all the chaos that's going on in Syria right now. I don't know if you read about that, but hundreds of people have been killed. Uh, civil wars getting ready to break out. Uh, you read about the stuff that's going on over uh, on the East Coast and this one town where there's a bunch of students that have gotten a disease and and they don't know what it, where it really came from and you have all this stuff going on there and you, you read i mean story after story after story of stuff that's going on and and you ask yourself as a christian what am i supposed to do uh, i think part of the problem is that awareness we have now because we have more stuff around us we're more aware of stuff than we ever were i mean even like back in desert storm wasn't that kind of a weird war because not only did we know what was going on overseas, but we could see it every day. We were aware of all the stuff that was going on. And we have this awareness. And, 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 and you know, years ago when we didn't have quite the same awareness, basically we still knew of a lot of stuff. But we only knew of stuff that happened probably in our immediate family or our immediate community. And we may hear something later on about something that was happening in the world. But we see so much. And the question is, what do we do with it? Do we just shut it off? Do we just forget about it? Is that what we do? Uh, or then we have another problem in the world as well. That so often people, when they hear about stuff, they have what I call misguided compassion. And what they do is they sometimes try to fix stuff. And in, the, in trying to fix stuff, what they do is they actually make stuff worse. They try to jump into stuff before thinking about, you know, how am I going to do this? And so we do all those types of things. What do we do as Christians about all the stuff that's going on in the world? And if you think about those things... And that's something that has uh, stirred your heart. You've had that question before as well. I'm glad you're here this morning because what we're going to talk about today is, is what do we do about all the stuff that's going on in the world? How do we, how do we approach it? So this morning what I'm going to do is we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. I'm going to give you a principle. And then we're going to hear a story uh, about some people in the life of the, uh, of the church, actually, who are actually acting upon the principle we're going to talk about. Um, it's interesting how God works in all kinds of ways. And I don't think it's coincidence. Uh, about a few months ago, I listened to uh, other pastors online and other things. And a few months ago, actually a couple of months ago, I'd actually listened to one of my favorite pastors, Andy Stanley. He did a message a year ago, on January a year ago at his church. It was called One, Not Everyone. And I was just, man, I was just, I thought, man, what an incredible message. And then uh, a couple of weeks ago in a staff meeting, uh, we have a couple of uh, folks who are starting to uh, join us in our staff meetings who... Uh, um, who are giving more and more of their time to the life of the church and committing themselves to that as well. And, and that one of those persons is in a small group who'd actually listened to that same uh, message the week before. And they were talking about what it, how it affected them. 
And I'm going like, well, you know, I don't think this is coincidence because I see this is something that we need to talk about in the life of our church as well. And so this morning, I will unashamedly say that most of this message was stolen from Andy Stanley. Okay? Because Andy Stanley is one of my favorite pas- uh, pastors, and he, he fed me. And I just want to share along with you, but God also gave us some opportunity here to think about and to illustrate that in the life of our church. So let's, let's look at a passage of scripture. If you have your Bibles this morning, uh, turn to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to look just a couple of verses of scripture there. We're going to talk about that. Then I want to give you a principle that I love it. That's what is so good. You know, Andy Stanley, some people just have a gift. They can take something and make little phrases and you can always remember them forever. I think I'll remember this phrase forever. And I hope you do too this morning. And how do you deal with all the stuff that's going on in the world? As a Christian, we're not called to just to shut, shut the door. We're not called to push things aside. But, you know, you can't do everything for everybody. So what do you do? This is what it says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. Let us not become weary in doing good. You ever got weary in doing good? There is a thing called compassion fatigue. And compassion fatigue, as I've heard it for years, is for people who, especially people who work in areas where like nurses and doctors and people who are always around people who are in need, they have this thing called compassion fatigue. Because they do good, they do good, they do good, and just, they they love doing it. But after, but after a time, it becomes wearing on them. Let us not become weary in doing good. And then it says this, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not Give up. You know, so often, we if we don't see instant results from something, it's very easy to give up because we live in this instant results world, don't we? You know, we flip on the Internet. If it doesn't go at high enough speed, we get irritated. We do. I mean, I talked to one of the person. I said, I talked to somebody that goes to our church that works at one of the places where I get my Internet from. I said, can you speed this up a little bit? He did. It was really cool. I don't know how he did it, but he did. But the issue was is that we have, you know, we, we want everything instantly. But it says here, let's not, not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Compassion and doing good for others is not necessarily an instantaneous results thing. It may take months. It may take years. I mean, there may be some times in life when you begin to pray for somebody and want change in somebody's life and they don't respond as quickly as you wish they were, would. That we just want to give up. Is that true? I know what's true for me. Maybe you're not like me. Maybe you're more patient. But I doubt it. So the thing is, that's the first thing he says. Then he says this in verse 10. He said, that being the case, therefore, as we have opportunity, as the opportunities come our way, as the door is open, I call them windows that God gives to us, doors open for us, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, to all people. It first says that. And then for some strange reason, he adds on, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Maybe it's because sometimes we can get so focused on doing good for others, we forget the people right in front of us. But I want to focus on the first part of that verse this morning. We'll come back to the, uh, that last part later as we're, we're going to start next week, the book of Acts. Actually, we did the first five chapters back in the summer. And we're going to start at chapter 6 and finish the whole book of Acts. So we'll be there for a while. But let me tell you, it's a powerful book. It's so good. I love Acts. And I think you will too because it's going to be illustration after illustration after illustration of God working through people in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
But this week we're going to talk about, therefore, as you have the opportunity, let us do good to all people. As God gives you the opportunity, he says, take the time. That's what it's saying there, literally. The Greek says, take the time to do good, to meet the need. What Bible, the Bible is teaching us here is this, is teaching us that in spite of the fact that there are problems that we will never be able to fully solve, in spite of the fact that there are issues that we will never be able to fully address, that you and I are responsible to do what we can do for someone somewhere. Because the, the fact is, is that we can be so overwhelmed with all the things that are going on around us that it causes us to shut down and do nothing. Matter of fact, earlier on in that same chapter, if you have your Bibles open, verse 2 says this. It says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you'll be, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, the phrase that Andy Stanley coined, and I think it's a great phrase that comes out of this, and I hope you will remember this forever, that you put on a refrigerator, that you'll just talk about this along with these passages of Scripture, is this phrase. And we're going to talk about how this is lived out in our lives. And how this is a key to staying on track and doing exactly what it says there in Galatians 6, 9, and 10. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Now, I know what you're thinking. Because all of us grew up with a phrase or a couple of phrases that got counter, that contradict this. You did. You're about to know what I'm about to say, probably. Because the phrase was this. If I let you do it, what's the rest of that phrase? If I let you do it, I have to do it for everybody. Yeah, didn't you say that? I mean, you ask somebody, you know, or you ask your, your mom or your dad for something, or you ask your coach or somebody, your teacher for something. They say, well, you know, I can't do that because if I let you do it, I have to let everybody do it. And when you heard that phrase, when you heard that statement, you know, you're going like, you know, if I let you do it, I have to let everybody do it. What was your, what was in your, what was going through your mind? What was going through your mind? No, you don't. You don't have to let everybody else do it. I'm not talking about everybody. I'm talking about me. Because what's the issue there? What's the, the big issue there? The overriding issue, you know, by that statement. If I let you do it, I have to let everybody do it. What's the issue? Fairness. It's all about fairness. The problem with that is this, folks. Life ain't fair. It's not. And if we all go around all the time and we worry about fairness or what somebody else will think, guess what? We'll never do anything. Because this passage of scripture is not saying do something forever. It says, as the opportunity arises, do something. Don't worry about whether you can do it for everybody else. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Is it more important to be fair or to do good? Boy, that's a philosophical statement, isn't it? I mean, you can sit there for hours and debate that one. But what does it say to do here in Scripture? It says, as the opportunity arises, do good. See, if you're a Christian, you cannot crawl into a hole and hide because the, the, the needs are overwhelming. And I believe the Scripture is telling us here, as the opportunity arises, we need to determine what we can do for the one 
And you get past. So the question is, the question really is for, for you and for me is who's the one? Who's the one? If you can't do for everybody what you wish you could do, I mean, if you had every resource in the world, you know, I don't care who you are, even if you're a government. Government throws, governments throw money at all kinds of things and they don't solve problems, right? I'm sorry. There, is there still world poverty? Is there still any kind of, all kind of needs in the world? Yes. The issue is, is that we allow that to become the standard that I can't do it for everybody, then what will happen is we'll do it for no one. And so I want to free you this morning. Because I believe Scripture tells us here clearly that what God wants us to do is do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. Let me give you an illustration. I remember in ministry, when I first started in ministry many years ago, it was really interesting because you could people give you all kind of advice, good and bad. And one of some of the worst advice I ever got in ministry was from another pastor. And he told me, he said, you know, as you go into ministry, one of the things you'll have a problem with in being a pastor of a church is that everybody will want to be your friend. And so since you, everybody can't be your friend, you just got to choose that you're not going to have friends. That's literally what he said. And I guess he lived by that because he was the loneliest, most miserable person I've ever known. Because the deal is, is that, you know, it's true. Then not everybody wants to be your friend, but you know, a lot more people than average want to be your friend because you have a position. I don't know what they're, you know, I'm not judging motives or anything, but the issue is, is that, you know, everybody, but the thing is, if you, everybody needs friends, I need friends. And the reality is I cannot be friends with a lot of people. Are you friends with hundred, 200, 400, 500, 600 people? No, you have a core group of friends. And so I decided to ignore that device, that, that advice totally. And so over the years, what it is, is I, in each church I've been in, I've always had a core group of friends, people that are close, people that are closer than other people. And sometimes, you know, people will be like, well, you know, Pastor Bill's friend to that person, he won't be a friend to me. Especially it's Facebook now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I decided to defriend everybody. Okay? I don't want to be fair. Because I can't do for everybody what I can do for once. No, I just that doesn't make sense. But the issue is, that was advice. And so, you know, I, I just said that's, you know, it's not about being fair. You know, and somebody might get upset, but it's don't worry about being fair. Don't worry about pe- what people think. Because if you're focused on everyone, you will do nothing. So my prayer for you this morning is this. My prayer for me this morning is this. This year, this week, this month, this year, as God will nudge you, as he nudges you, you will see that one individual. Maybe it's, it's, it's a couple down the street. Maybe it's a single mom. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's a group of, of teenagers. Maybe it's a group of kids. Maybe... It's, it's, it's a group that's, that's in another country. Maybe it's an individual in another country. Maybe somewhere along the way that this year that God will nudge you and that one person or that one whatever, God will say to you, that's the one. That's the one. And I'm not going to tell you which one it is because we try to give you opportunities here at Great Oaks and we'll talk about some opportunities this morning. But the issue is, is that you have to allow God to be 
open, you know, you'd be open to God, have this relationship with God. We talked about for the last several weeks to the fact that you can hear God, in a sense, speak through Scripture and through other people and look at opportunities and do all those things that God will say to you, that's the one. And let me give you three tips, three tips this morning. And after I do this, I'm going to ask our uh, our three guests this morning to so come up and talk to, uh, talk with me in just a few minutes to get ready for that. I want to give you three tips this morning about how to approach this. And these are from Andy Stanley. I thought they were great tips, but I just want to share with you what they mean. Three tips about this whole thing of asking who's the one and how do you approach it. Number one, go deep rather than wide. Go deep rather than wide. You know, all of us have this general concern for stuff, like I have a concern for the poor, or I have a concern for whatever. But let me tell you, how many of you uh, last a couple of years ago, if you're in the life of the church, read the book, uh, Same Kind of Different? Anybody here read that book? whole bunch of you. Now, you know why that book was so powerful? It wasn't about a general concern for the poor. It was about concern of one, per, one couple for one guy. His name was Denver. I got a piece of Denver's artwork on my wall in my office somebody gave to me. It's a real cool gift. Real simple. But man, it was a powerful story of how, you know, they couldn't do for everyone what they wished they could do for one. But, I mean, everyone... But they did for one. Powerful story. How many of you saw the movie Blindside? Blindside. You know what the powerful part of that movie was? It wasn't about all the homeless and poor kids out there that are, that are depressed. It was about one, one child in particular that a couple took, took under their wings and began to work in their lives and it was a long-term commitment there. So the first statement is this. Go deep rather than wide. I love it in the life of this church that God is teaching people that already. We heard back before Christmas about during Thanksgiving when, you know, some things, some people got connected with the families and did stuff. Recently, and I don't, don't even, um, Know exactly all the details, but recently a, 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 a young lady in our church that has three kids, that are a couple in our church that has three kids, and, and they decided not to have any more, and uh, they they got a bunch of baby stuff, and they had a bunch of baby stuff, and they sent a note to the office, and they said, "Hey, uh, you know, we'd like to give it to somebody." And so I took it home, and at first I thought, "Oh, I'll call my daughter and say, you know, she has a couple of boys, and they're younger than these boys. Maybe they." Then my wife said, you know, "My wife has much better discernment than I do," uh, but. Uh, she said, you know, maybe they're, they're looking at something different. So what happened was, is she called the, called the lady. We had the name, the couple of the church. She says, no, says, uh, what I want to do is find somebody who really needs some stuff, and I want to connect with them. And so my wife calls Head Start, and she, and she, and she gives and founds out a family. Oh, yeah, we've got a family. And they, and they just had a baby, and they're really trying hard. And they need everything. They don't have anything. They actually have two kids, and the first kid hardly, hardly nothing. And this kid's coming along, they still have nothing. And so my wife calls this couple back and gives the information to them and they call them and connect with them and there's been this ongoing conversation with them where they, they're, they're, they're living. It's not just this general concern. It's a very specific concern for this one family. They get it. They're going deep rather than wide. Go long-term rather than short-term. Go long-term rather than short-term. Once again, you know, one reason we started focusing on specific people groups is it's great to have a, a, a passion for missions? It is. But for years, what happened in the life of our church is so many people were just like, you know, we got on this mission trip and this mission trip and this mission trip, and they were not connected at all. It was kind of short-term. It was short-term thinking about, you know, there was no building relationships beyond that. And so we said a few years ago, is from a leadership perspective, how can we encourage people in the life of our church to get connected with a people group and have a long-term view of how to minister to that people group? 
And so the first group we started with is called the Basque. And two years ago, uh, almost three years ago now, we first heard about the Basque. It's a group of people in, in the uh, northern part of Spain, southern part of France, that are a, a separate people group of uh, over two million people that are considered the least reached people group, meaning that less than 2% of the people in their, in their country, and it's far less than that, have a, 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 any kind of connection with Christ at all. And so we asked people, hey, let's, let's take a long-term approach rather than a short-term approach. And also because the basket was also connecting people with people, not just a purpose. Because over the last two years we've had, I don't know exactly, I think we've had, I don't know how many different kids, but we've had, say, 25 different kids, 20 to 25 different kids that have been here from Spain. And they've connected. Come on out, guys. Thanks. I told them to come out when I started talking about this, that they'll be here, so. And the last one is this, is that, is this, is so often, at go time, not just money. So we as Americans are wealthy. We don't consider ourselves wealthy, but I shared this earlier. You throw your change into an ashtray. Basically, you dump your change into a trash can. We're wealthy. And we're always given money for stuff, right? I mean, it's, it's really easy for Americans to dump money to stuff. $10 here and $10 here and $20 here and $30 here and do it here and here and here. But I want to tell you, it's still good to do some of those things. And we teach about tithes and offerings. When you have an offering, you know, ask God where you want to go. But the thing is, to make a real impact, we've got to invest more than just money. We've got to invest time as well. So this morning, I want to illustrate some of these things by talking to three folks that's here this morning. And um, you're going like, okay, who are these folks? Let me tell you who they are over here. Okay, on the far side is Lexi Wilson. And Lexi and her family hosted a vast student this past year, correct? Okay. And then Nate Lee. And Nate and his family hosted a student for the last two years. Same kid, right? Okay, and this is Mike Hazelbush, and Mike and Tina, his wife and family, hosted uh, a child for two years, a dare, yep. and uh, actually this year has a, has a transition. I, I tell you, this thing's driving me crazy. Good call. There we go. Okay, now we can see people. Okay, <laughs> uh, transition to, to this year because a dare was can't come back this summer, right. so a window of opportunity to transition to the coordinators. Uh, of our Basque ministry and our summer to USA. So this morning I asked them to come and share some things because I tell you what God is doing through that is more than just a summer program. And so we want to talk about this this morning. So I'm first going to talk to the, the two younger folks, nothing about you, Mike, but uh, um, I want to talk to them first. Then I want to talk to Mike a little bit and ask a few questions and I want to wrap some things up here. Uh, uh, Lexi and Nate, uh, you spent a couple of weeks in Basque country over the, over the, over Christmas. Uh, Christmas break. Uh, what did you do when you went there? Either one. I don't care who goes first. Um, well, I went to visit Inigo and Castellon, which is not in Basque country. Okay. But he is Basque. It's okay. just his dad went to Castellon for work. Okay. Um, when I first flew into Madrid, we just, like, took a tour around Madrid and everything. And um, we uh, took a high-speed train back to Castellon, his house, and... The next day, we drove to San Sebastian, which is the home of most of our Bass students that come here. Um, this is where me and Inigo met up with all of the Bass students and John, which um, he was me and Inigo's friend okay. here in America. Um, the next day, we drove five hours to a ski resort called Bacada, mm-hmm. um, which is... This, this is missions, folks, okay? <laughs> Go ahead. I'm um, sorry. 
called Bacada. It was like right on the French border in, sure. in, the, Mount, in the Pyrenees. Um, we stayed there for two days, and then we went back to St. Sebastian. I spent the day with John and his friends. Um, then me and Inigo went back to Castellon. And the next week, um, me and Inigo or, uh, and his family, uh, we went to all the like, major cities in Spain, like Barcelona and Valencia, and to an amusement park. Um, <laughs> on New Year's Eve, which is uh, my birthday, actually, I got to climb a mountain, and I, I also got to see how they celebrate in Spain. Um, yeah. That's, that's about it. Yeah. Sounds like a good time. Yeah, it was. But it was basically building relationships with, with, with the family there, yeah. extending that relationship that you started here for two years, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Lexi, how about you? What did you do uh, when you went over there? Um, I was over there for two weeks, and um, I was over there during Christmas. Okay. So um, I got to see a lot of her family and um, see that over in Europe and stuff, they uh, mainly – the holidays are more about um, the eating with the family and stuff versus getting the presents. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a really neat experience. And then also I was over there um, during New Year's. Uh, so I got to uh, see that instead of the ball dropping over there, um, they have the bell ring uh, 12 times and you have to try to eat grapes as fast as you can um, in those 12 <laughs> seconds. Um, and I didn't realize that they weren't seedless grapes, so I probably ate a few seeds. But um, And then also they have, um, on the 21st, was uh, Santa Tomas, which is like a competition between all of the schools, um, and they make this sandwich, and then they try to sell um, as many as they can to raise money. Um, and that was a neat experience because I... Um, Ayanata actually bought me an outfit so that I looked just like them and I was able to um, blend in and stuff. And um, I met a lot of her friends there also, so that was really neat. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Um, you know, as we talk about this and this whole deal, and as Mike shares, you'll understand that building relationships is a key thing in, in this whole thing uh, because this group has been closed to Christianity for a long time. And sometimes you think you go in and missions means to go in and automatically share the gospel. Well, no. You've got to build a relationship, build trust first. And that's, that's part of the process here. Okay. Second question. Uh, now that you've hosted a Basque student in your home or visited your, what you call your brother or sister, you know, your Basque brother and sister in their home, uh, how has it changed uh, you in terms of your faith, uh, your view of the world, or even your family? Uh, go ahead. My, my faith has changed. Like, well, these people have no way of connecting with God or Jesus or what um, in churches and they have some of the coolest looking old cathedrals like they're just beautiful they're crazy and um, but no one goes to them they're just there for tourists okay and uh, they do hear about Christ but they don't have any way of connecting with him or okay. really getting to know him so okay that just it's a lot different than here okay so okay made you aware of the difference between yeah. us and them okay and maybe why the, the way they are. Yeah. yeah. Okay. How about you, Lexi? Um, it's changed my faith personally. Um, like, it hasn't, like, completely changed my faith because I knew God and I had a relationship with God. Um, but it has given me a greater appreciation for my relationship with Christ um, because I see, like, how... Um, there are some people who don't realize that um, there is somebody who loves them and cares for them um, unconditionally. 
Um, it has changed my view of the world um, because hosting a Bass student um, gave me the opportunity to visit a different country and experience how they live day to day. And then it also has, uh, with my family, we've grown closer as a Christian family and also brought a sister and daughter into our family um, and have made an impact on her life. Okay. Okay. Well, one final question to you guys. Um, you know, we're doing this again this summer. Uh, we're having uh, some more basketball students come in. Uh, some of the ones, I guess, coming back. I don't know how many, but a few. And but some new kids, too. And so we have some families that are already committed to this. And so I would ask you the question, would you recommend to other teens or families at Great Oaks to get involved? And maybe why? Uh, yes, I would recommend this to anyone who wants to build a relationship with a teen from Spain or Basque Country. Uh, he will become your son or brother or friend, even. Um, my family was one of the first families to say yes to the Basque program. Uh, we have loved every minute of it. Um, even all my friends from school, they want to hang out with him, like during the summer and everything. And uh, they want him to come to school for a year. Uh, it'll change your life, and I know you won't regret it. So. Okay. How about you, Lexi? Um, yes, I would definitely recommend it because um, it has been an experience um, of a lifetime, and I have met a best friend um, and been accepted as a daughter into their family as well. Okay. Well, thank you guys for sharing that. Thank you. Mike, I want to transition to you a little bit. Okay. As the elder up here, thank you. And um, <coughs> Mike, record, uh, Mike, and Mike, no, more. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> Mike, Mike, uh, and Tina have uh, made a, a pretty huge commitment to this ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only hosting a student for a couple of years, but also Mike just got back from Spain uh, just a few weeks ago, sharing, um, mm-hmm. going over, and they actually recruit students. They go mm-hmm. into the high schools there, or some missionaries and mm-hmm. some other folks going to high schools. And what they do is they tell them about summer in the USA mm-hmm. program. And then what they do from there is they recruit them to come this summer and be a part of that. So Mike mm-hmm. went over there as a representative mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, and spent some time over there. So, mm-hmm. Mike, uh, share with me about okay. the experiences you had sure. over there and about the, all the exciting stuff that God did okay. while you were there. Okay. Well, I had uh, two goals when I went over. One was to travel with uh, Summer in the USA team and uh, go to the schools and talk to the students. And the other was the same as Lexi and Nate to build a relationship with uh, Adair and her family and get to know them. So the students, uh, it was a blast. There was about 12 of us in the team, and we were divided into three different teams of four to go to the various schools. And uh, I got to go to 12, uh, no, no, nine different classes in three different villages. And uh, we'd do a little presentation. Either Rick, he was one of the other elders from the West Coast. <laughs> Most of the people are younger than us on the team. Or I would open and kind of host this thing. We'd start out, Kaisho! And the kids would say, Kaisho! And we'd say, oh, whoa, 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 this is an English class. Kai show is high in Basque. So we'd say, hello. And they'd say, hello. And uh, we'd say, well, my name is Mike Hazelbush. I'm here with Summer in the USA. And we're here to talk to you about an opportunity to come to America for four weeks to improve your English. For three of those weeks, you'll be with a host family. And they're going to accept you as a son or a daughter, and you're going to become part of that family. And it's important for you to understand that these people are volunteers. We don't pay them to take you. Now, the reason we tell the students that and their parents is they also are familiar with programs for English in Britain, Ireland, and Scotland, where those programs actually pay the families to take the students. And one young man during a breakout session told me when I'd get up in the morning, there'd be three sacks on the countertop, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. 
we'd do classes in the morning. That was my food for the whole day. And then we'd do nothing in the afternoons. He said, it doesn't sound anything like what my friends have talked about somewhere in the USA. He said, I can't wait to come. By them seeing that, they asked, why in the world would you want us to come if they're not paying you? And that's an opening to share why we want them to come and make them part of our family. So after the introduction, we said in one week is camp. And we'll tell you more about that later. Then we had a trivia game. And then we sat down individually, American trivia game, to check their knowledge. And then we uh, had a lot of fun with that. We broke up into groups and had just one-on-one conversation to get to know them. One American and usually three or four or five best students. And we shared experiences, family, work, travel, those kind of things. It was a lot of fun. Then we get back up and say, well, we told you we were going to tell you about camp. Well, we're not going to. We're going to show you a video instead of some Bass students who went to Portland, Oregon, and just had a blast. And their camp's a lot like our Miracle Camp. It's got some really driving Christian music in the background, interviews with the students, and then showing all the fun stuff they're going to do. And it's a really cool video. After that, we close and say, so, who do you need to tell if you want to come this summer? Dead silence every time. So we change the question. Who's going to pay for your airplane ticket? Oh, our parents said yes. Then we give them a brochure, three languages, Basque, Spanish, and English. And on the back, it's got the location and the time for the parents' meeting so we can talk about logistics and more details from the parents' point of view. So that's what I did every day, went out with the, the team to the schools, and it was really, really cool. Um, before I switched to relationships, Sousa's also, as our students go back in San Sebastian, they've got a small office but we're looking at a very large office now. There's a vacant building on a main street across from the university that's got three levels, glass on two sides, and really, really cool for like a student center. So the last day we walked around it, it was raining, of course, and we prayed, laid hands in the building, and prayed that God would find a way to use this building to further the ministry for the Bass students. So hopefully by this summer, we're going to have a new place there to have club to bring the students like Youth for Christ, but called club there for them to hang out and wonder why would they do this for us and more opportunities for ministry. Okay. The other half was family. And, and this, this, was, was the part, this was the part I'm excited about yes, because was, of what God was doing there. Yes, it's really cool. Um, I arrived in uh, Sansa in Bilbao, came out of the doors to the baggage claim, and Adair was there, and she, I heard this scream, Mike! And she came running about and knocked me over with a bear hug. And then I met her sister and her father and mother and brother and her father speaks broken English, but we got along okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and her mother doesn't speak any English. I do speak Italian. I've been studying Spanish for six months. So when we'd speak, I'd speak Italian. She'd speak Spanish. And we'd speak like, hello, Bill. How are you? You'd say, I am fine. That kind of a speaking, Italian and Spanish are not the same, but it's close enough you can have slow, deliberate conversations and communicate with detours and lots of laughter when you get to the subject. This is important for you to remember. Italian and Spanish are not the same language, but you can have communication. So uh, we uh, got to know the family, and I met Grandma. Grandma was really funny because uh, she was convinced that we wouldn't be able to communicate. So I got to her apartment, and Adair introduced her to me, and she said, Adair, please tell Mike that uh, welcome to my apartment. Thank you for taking care of you for Adair for two months in, uh, or two summers and uh, asked me if like some tea and a snack and a tour. I said, Adair, wait. Grandma, thank you very much for inviting me to your apartment. 
We, it was a pleasure to have Adair in our home. Um, I would like a little tea and a tour of your apartment. And her face had this just shock on it. And I said, judging by the expression of your face, you're surprised that I could understand you and even more surprised you could understand me. So it, it works, but just not fluent. I got to meet a lot of people in town and got to meet Juan Lewis, her father. We have a lot in common. He used to be a pilot. I used to be a pilot. He's a mountain biker and a kayaker, and I'm a mountain biker and a kayaker. He owns two mines and uses a lot of heavy equipment from Caterpillar. I'm an engineer for Caterpillar. I don't believe in coincidences. It gave us a lot of things in common, work and hobbies, to build a relationship. So I spent a lot of time with him, and we got to Thursday night. And uh, we were sitting down for supper, as we did every night with the family. And uh, he just happened to ask, so how much did it cost the program to send you here? I said, well, Lewis, we're all volunteers. It didn't cost the program anything. He said, what do you mean it didn't cost the program anything? I said, we pay for our tickets to come here, the airplane tickets ourselves. He said, what about the time when you're here? I said, well, that's the vacation time. He said, you mean, now he switched to Spanish. It was English before. He's getting a little agitated by now. He said, you mean you paid for your ticket and you're taking vacation time to come here? I said, yes. And next July, you're coming back again to bring the students back and you're bringing your family. I said, yes. And you pay for that and take more vacation time? I said, yes. I said, so you're taking half your vacation to spend with us in Basque Country this year? I said, yes. I said, Mike, why? He said, in Basque Country, we're giving clothes, our used clothes to the Ethiopians right now. I give blood to the blood bank and I coach things for students, but never money. Never, ever, ever money. He said, why are you doing this? Now, at this point in time, he and his wife are speaking Spanish rapidly. They're very engaged. I'm speaking Italian back fairly rapidly and praying like mad because I don't know what to say. Um, so I started out with something. Well, this is a church program, something my wife and I are committed to and we want to, to do more with. He thought about that for a bit. He said, no, not good enough. I said, okay, so I'm praying even more now. And I said, okay, Juan Luis. And the words did come. I said, Juan Luis. You know I believe in God. He said, yes, Adair's explained that to us. I said, you know I believe he's my father. He said, yes, Adair's explained that to us. I said, Juan Lewis, I believe he's your father too. And Maite, that's her mother, I believe he's your father too. That makes you my brother and that makes you my sister. That also makes Adair and Sara and Antoni, that's their children, my children, my nieces, my nephews, my children. I said, I'm not coming and taking time and money to see strangers, we're coming to see our family that we've not yet met. And they're thinking and really struggling about now. And uh, we've been talking about 20 minutes by this point, so I'm giving you the abridged version. And then I said, let me give you another example. I said, you know both of our daughters are adopted. I said, yes, we know. Tina and I went to China and to Vietnam and spent two to three weeks there and the plane tickets and everything, not to meet strangers, but to meet our daughters and bring them home. It's the same thing, Juan Luis. So we talked some more, and finally uh, we uh, we got to dessert, and and the the night kind of uh, calmed down and reduced the speed of the conversation, and uh, they they pretty much accepted, not completely understood, but accepted it. And as I went back to my room, I got to thinking. I said, "Wait a minute." They were both speaking Spanish at high speed with me. 
I was speaking Italian and praying and speaking high speed. My language skills are not up to understanding high-speed Spanish from two people. And theirs aren't up to understanding any Italian. They are different languages. And I realized at that point as I was sitting in the room and writing down every day I'd journal what I did, that it wasn't me. And we had a translator in the room, and it was a whole lot like Pentecost when the disciples were able to speak to everybody in their language and understand. And it was really, really cool um, when I realized that, that it wasn't me, and I got to be used to do that and deliver the message so powerfully in the words given to me. And then that night, Adair came to my room, and we visited till midnight, just about all kinds of different things. Um, then uh, the next day, I went to the, with the team again and shared some of this with the team. I got home and got off the bus, and Mon Luis met me. He said, Mike, I didn't understand why Adair always said, you were her American father. I'm starting to understand now. He said, our families are going to become one, aren't they? I said, yes, I believe so. Okay, I'm starting to understand more. So we had a great talk. And that night, both Sarah and Adair came, and we visited till midnight. That's her younger sister. And on the way to the airport the next morning, I talked with Juan Luis and Maite, and they said, so are you hosting a student this year? I said, no, no, Adair can't come this year, so we're not hosting anybody. He said, but, uh, so, so what are you doing? I said, Juan Luis, our focus is on your family. Adair for two years, a break. Sara will come next year. She'll come for three years. Then there'll be a break. And then Antonio will come, and he'll be three years. So it's about a 10- or 12-year plan. And we're just focusing on your family. And that's, that's our plan, to get to know you and become one family. And he just couldn't believe it. That was really, really powerful. Yeah. Um, so cool. And I'd really like to thank the congregation for all the things they've done. Um, the students feel so welcome here. And... All of you have been involved because you've been here at church, you've made meals, you've hosted different activities, you've been aunts and uncles, some of you have hosted students. It has had a huge impact on these kids and on the Basque country. Um, I can't tell you. We're still looking for five families to host this summer. There's 180 kids coming over from Basque country to the States. We'll get about 10 more or less here. And if God's tugging at your heartstrings, just say yes. You'll love it. Okay. That's all I got. <laughs> I know you got more, but we, uh, we're running out of time here. Yeah. And we're all right, though. Good. Uh, I just want to thank these folks for sharing and what God's doing. And uh, that's why I'm excited about what God's doing in the life of, I mean, somebody to say, I mean, you understand the illustration. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. We wish we could do it for every Basque student that's out there, but we can't. And God wants us to open and think about that in a real sense. Um, we're going to kind of close our service here with a song that I'm going to come back and do a couple of minutes. But uh, one of my favorite uh, new uh, um, Christian artists is a guy named Josh Wilson. And uh, he has a song called I Refuse that really illustrates this real well. And so, guys, you can go on down if you want to go on down to the front and take your seats or whatever you want to do there. And uh, listen to the band for a few moments, and I'll come back and wrap it up. Thanks. This year, uh, I want you to pay attention. I really do. I think God wants you to pay attention. I want you, he, he wants you not just to be overwhelmed. Uh, he don't want you, he doesn't want you just to give $10 here, $10 there. Uh, even though that might help in a, in a real way. He wants to be, a, uh, pay attention and ask the question, who is the one? Um, it may be a Basque student. Uh, there's an opportunity here for that as well. It may be somebody down the street. That's been there all along and you know that, you know, you've gone like, man, I don't know if I'm helping them, but man, it's, it's an investment. Yes, it is. But here's what I think. Here's what I think. And you go ahead and put the next slide up there. It's, it's this. It's, if you do for one what you wish you could do for everyone, 
If you did that, um, I believe it would make a difference. Because if you did that, we all did that in a real sense. If we did for one what we wish we could do for everyone, it might change the world. It really might do that. But I know something that it will do. It may, it'll change the life of one person. Maybe even one family in Spain. Or one family down the street. And I know for certain if you do that, it'll change you. It'll change you. We can't run and hide. We can't be overwhelmed. We refuse to do that. Because God wants us to experience what he has for us in life. And the greatest thing we can do is as we have the opportunity, do good. I want to challenge you this morning. If you will commit yourself to praying about who's the one. Maybe you already know who's the one. Some of you know. I mean... Who's the one? You're already involved in somebody's life. You're involved in somebody's life down the street or at work or something like that. You've made a deep commitment there. You've gone, you've gone deep rather than wide. Uh, you've gone time rather than money. If you'll make that commitment this morning that if you don't know who the one is, that you'll begin to pray about the one and ask God, who is the one that you want me to be involved in in their life this year? Maybe the next several months and this year. Maybe it's going to be a long-term commitment, man. Mike and Tina, I mean, you know, like this is a long-term commitment here. Looking at the picture, the big picture. But whatever the need, if you have that desire this morning, would you stand with me as we close in prayer? If you would desire to say, God, I want to know who the one is, will you just stand with me this morning as a commitment to God? Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, Go to greatoakcc.org.